0: Hi, this is Sam Black with another edition of Directing Archetypes. Today we are going to talk about blue red in Kaldheim. Today I used a somewhat more data-driven approach to uh, analyzing blue red I've been getting, I'd say, more and more into kind of going through the data on 17 lands and realized that they actually track Win rates by cards within particular archetypes. So a lot of my methodology for this was just to um, look at every card in the set organized by win rate when drawn when you are already playing blue red. And there are, you know, a few potential problems with that particular methodology. But it does lead to a lot of like really good concrete data about cards that people generally do well with when they're drafting blue red or rather specifically what 17 lands considers to be blue red which can allow for small splashes in some capacity in that like Starnheim Unleashed and Essek's Chariot are at the top of their list for cards that perform well in blue red decks so I think they allow like up to three cards of another color while still considering it to be a blue red deck some big picture stuff blue red is the top performing blue or black archetype so uh, this is a really good place a really good like as far as like how do you end up here kind of questions I'd say if you start with a blue card uh, blue red is a really good direction to kind of like actively try to navigate toward because blue and black do struggle a lot in this format and blue red has like a respectable win rate while playing blue which is a weaker color so if you have a strong blue card and you're trying to figure out what to do with it trying to navigate into blue red is likely to give you a pretty safe home with pretty good outcomes that's i think like the primary i mean well the main ways to get into blue red are either drafting cards that specifically want to be in this archetype which is mostly cards that care about giants especially squash agar glimpse the cosmos calamity bearer or just like taking good blue cards and being like all right how do i get from these into a strong archetype where I will be able to cast these spells. Which blue red is a good answer to that question. Another big picture conclusion is that giants actually don't play very well with small creatures or equipment. And the uh, best performing blue red decks are much more on the like controlling giants end of the spectrum. I surmise based on the fact that small red creatures that do perform well in general do not perform well in blue red. I'm looking at you specifically, Fearless Pup, uh, but also Tormentor's Helm and kind of more interestingly, Dwarvenhammer and Rune Crown both perform very badly in blue red. So um, while the format in general has pressures toward uh, like playing aggressive decks and aggressive decks winning more and cheap aggressive cards perform really well. Blue red is very much, I'm not going to say the exception, but an exception and a remarkably successful exception to that. Where you're really looking to like not play the like really like low curve, low impact stuff, not play the like dedicated aggressive stuff. Like run amuck is like the top performing common among like counting everything in white red aggro but it performs really bad in blue red so like context definitely matters a lot and like that does bear out in the data that you can just look at on 17 lands like this isn't blue is not a very cooperative color for trying to draft an aggressive deck it doesn't have a lot of commons that are going to help you with that plan And so you need to, like, take that context into account when you're drafting your red cards and not just, like, try to play the aggressive red cards with some blue cards, for the most part. I do actually think that there's, like, a kind of, like, fringe way to draft that deck where you're drafting, like, blue-red aggro, not giants, and you're mostly red with, like, a little bit of blue stuff. The... I don't have a way to, like, divide the decks on 17 lands to see if people have succeeded with that or not and my guess is that most of the failures with the red aggressive cards have been in the context of people have like some giants and they're like well I guess I should put this pup in so I'm doing something at the beginning of the game and there the pup doesn't perform well but I think that there probably is like a kind of like fringe blue red deck that is aggressive but if you're not doing something weird. If you're like, okay, I'm like a blue red giant deck. that's how I'm thinking of myself. D- just skip all the like this card attacks type cards. Um, you don't care about like doing 10 damage early to your opponent. Now, 10 is optimistic obviously for these kinds of cards. You're going to win the game by like living long enough to cast big creatures and get card advantage and like answer their threats. And once you do that stuff, you're gonna win regardless of what their life total is. So, like, the Pup is, you know, this card's basically a mulligan, gets thrown around pretty liberally, but it really comes close to applying for Pup in, uh, like, a normal kind of structure of a blue-red deck. That's, like, I mean, the the big picture notes on blue-red are a vast majority of the time the deck is about giants, the deck is controlling, uh, and it wants, you really want to focus on playing cards exclusively that understand and lean into that Uh, as far as like categories of cards all the removal is like the top performing commons notably squash is better performing than demon bolts in giants which you know depending on where you're at may or may not be much of a statement but that's the reality the cost decrease on squash and hitting additional creatures especially ravenous lindworm is a big deal obviously you know squash with a giant comparable total casting cost to demon bolt all told but it is cheaper in a way that can matter hitting extra creatures is really big both for you know more coverage killing stuff demon bolt can't but also for additional spots where you draw a card off of uh agar yeah squash demon bolt are the top two commons followed by bergstrider and then run ashore and then frostbite in terms of like how successfully the cards play in this archetype. Now, run ashore deserves a whole long rant about its stats just in general where it, you know, like its win rate completely blows like its pick or like it, it just it, it's just mind-blowing to compare like how much that card wins compared to how much it's prioritized by players and to some extent i feel like okay maybe i should tell everyone to take run ashore's win rates with a grain of salt because obviously like no one's prioritizing this card and it's a lot of mana and maybe something weird is going on here but like it's not i mean all the numbers agree, like, if there's nothing about it that tells a story that something strange is happening here. I think it's just a good card, and it plays well for me. Um, it plays well in this archetype. I'm not sure, like, I'm probably not at the point where I'm going to take Run Ashore over Frostbite, because you can get Run Ashore late, and you don't want to have, like, three or four of them, I'm pretty sure. So I would still take Frostbite over Run Ashore, but remember that Run Ashore is a good card in this archetype. So, Frostbite's the next top performing, followed by Mistwalker and Craven Hulk, which is not a surprise to me. And then, what is a little bit surprising, is the next most successful card after that in blue red is Disdainful Stroke, which might not stand out to you as that weird because I haven't gotten to the cards that it's ahead of and you might not be thinking of like all the blue red cards that I haven't mentioned yet, but to give you a little preview, the card behind *Disdainful Stroke, so the card that wins a lower portion of the time that it's drawn than Disdainful Stroke is Behold the Multiverse. Any uh, general rules for the format about things you should always be doing, like perhaps holding, might not genuinely apply, or at least are not borne out by the data. Behold the Multiverse is like a good card as opposed to a bad card you want it in your deck rather than not but it's not a priority it doesn't increase your win rate a lot there are a lot of commons that are better than it it's fine it's like the fact that it wins less than disdainful stroke which to me is like I, i generally think of it as you know this is like a filler type card that i'd be reasonably happy to have one of but uh it's like pretty striking to me that it actually like has a better win rate than Behold the Multiverse and then Behold the Multiverse is immediately ahead of in terms of win rate Augury Raven and Axe Guard Cavalry which that all sounds pretty reasonable to me those cards are solid but not amazing and then behind that in the like this improves my deck slightly but is pretty much at replacement you know like your win rate, like the win rate for this card is about the same as the win rate for the deck as a whole. We're getting into cards like Dwarven Reinforcements and Cinderheart Giant and Depart the Realm and Bind the Monster. Um, Those are like, I expect, you know, those are like the filler type stuff that this deck is gonna play. It's, you know, not in any way an indictment of a particular deck if it has to play those, but they're also not cards that you should like highly prioritize. Uh, And then behind those, are uh, Tisgiri Firewalker, Carful Harbinger, Immerstrom Raider seize the spoils. Um, <laughs> Tisgiri Firewalker is in a really weird spot in this format, where across multiple archetypes, maybe everywhere, it drawing it is really bad. Uh, by which I mean, your win rate—the win rate when Tisgiri Firewalker is in your deck and you don't draw it—is basically universally higher than the win rate when it's in your deck and you do draw it. But it has, it's not that it has particularly bad win rates, you just don't want it. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know if that's just like a statement about like, it goes in aggressive decks that would like, you know, they end up needing to play it to like fill out their creature count and stuff, but like you'd rather draw a two drop. Or if there's like something about this card where it's like, yeah, like good players put it into good decks, but the card's just not good or something. I'm, I'm not really sure exactly what's going on there, but Uh, Scary Firewalker has some like unique looking stats that tell some kind of story and I still need to work out exactly what that story is. Then the next card down performing worse than Immerstrom Raider and Seize the Spoils, which are not particularly stellar cards, is Lajara Kinseekers. Which is notable because, so in addition to looking at the win rates for these cards, I can look at how often they see play in the archetype and Lichara King Seekers makes its way into a lot of blue-red decks. People play this card in really large numbers because it's another giant, it's a 4-drop, so it's like a pretty nice spot in the curve, and it's like reasonably easy to tell yourself that it's doing productive things in terms of like letting you cast your glimpse and making your squashes cheaper, and it's pretty easy to imagine that it's a 3-5 that scries, and that's a pretty good rate. This card has a horrible win rate. I'm not saying that like... It's a disaster if you have to put it in your deck, but like think about some of these cards that I've mentioned, that at least for me I cut some portion of the time, and I would say that it's pretty reasonable to try to play all of them before you play the Kinseeker, because it's there's like kind of a significant drop off, and Kinseeker doesn't do well. Now, note the Kinseeker is still ahead of some stuff that I haven't mentioned yet, like Goldvein Pick Runamuck. Undersea Invader, Breakneck Berserker, Pilfering Hawk, Brinebar Intruder, like other cards that you could play in this archetype, uh Dragger Thought Thief, Vault Robber. So there, you can do you can certainly do worse than Lit Jarakin Seeker. And when I like map out the deck in terms of like, okay, what do I expect to be playing? Like getting to like the top commons that I have to like that I expect to play, it's basically like There are, like, 15 commons that are, like, pretty good. And then uh, Carful Harbinger and Tuskiri Firewalker are, like, get me up to, like, 17 commons that I'm happy, that I'm, like, satisfied to play in blue-red. And then Lejarican Seeker's right below that. And then after that, we're getting into, like, okay, this is, like, really off-plan, not-good-in-this-archetype kind of cards. So um, I guess that's to say... The priority is basically like premium removal, then like interactive spells and or well sorry premium removal, then premium creatures, then kind of just like generic interaction and like other, you know creatures that play defensively reasonably like augury ravens kind of like in the middle in terms of like how aggressive or defensive it is, and then uh, below that you get to like your like borderline quality creatures like powerful harbinger and scary firewalker and lit jar seeker and then below that are the like dedicated aggro cards that are just like a bad fit for this deck and then below that are the this card is just flat out bad type cards as far as like broadly how to categorize cards that you're thinking about in terms of like how well they'll fit into this strategy that's kind of the like individual like which commons should you be playing in what order and Again, the order of that list is based entirely, like literally one to one straight up copy paste of the win rates uh, when drawn at any point in the game on 17 lands within blue red. And I like stand by that methodology as being very reasonable and the results track pretty well. I will note <laughs> when going over this, it includes like snow, it includes every card. Uh, it doesn't include basic lands, but it does include the snow lands. So it includes like Snow Mountain and Snow Island and stuff. And one thing that's pretty striking is there are two pictures of mountain and island and they're tracked as separate cards. So there's like the higher performing Snow Mountain and the lower performing Snow Mountain just because they're tracked differently and one of them has to be better. And so the gap between higher performing Snow Mountain and lower performing Snow Mountain tells you something about like, the range of all right we don't have like particularly precise data here um, so like kind of gives you some error bars on cards as a whole for a little bit of context the better performing snow mountain outperforms demon bolt so the, the list actually goes squash good snow mountain demon bolt bergstrider run ashore frostbite bad snow mountain Followed by Good Snow Island, Mistwalker, Craven Hulk, Disdainful Stroke, Beholding Multiverse, Augury Raven, Axgard Cavalry, Bad Snow Island. It's really hard for me to believe that there's any meaningful difference in blue red between the quality of a snow mountain and a snow island. And so, to me, that means that, like, there's a good amount of wiggle room between Demon Bolt. And Axe Guard Cavalry, but at the same time, like those are really different cards. So, like that's not to say throw all this data out, but it is just to you know give you some context. And also remember, I don't know, it, it's weird in terms of like there being two of them, and one of them has to be higher than the other. And so we were like sorting for the bottom one in terms of like artificially dropping the bottom one slightly compared to like if we just combined these stats into one card. Anyway, the Snowlands <laughs> perform pretty well. Uh, they are a priority for turning on your Berg Striders. It's it's pretty hard to know exactly like where to rank them, but I would say, you know, it's it's a function largely of how open your seat is and how you're doing on playables. Like you don't want to push yourself down into playing, you know, like Litjaricin Seekers or worse by taking a snowland over a card that's like better than Lich Seekers, but if, you know, the worst card in your deck was going to be an Augury Raven and now it's an Axe Guard Cavalry instead and you get a Snowland, that's probably a pretty big upgrade to the strength of your deck. I wouldn't take a Snowland over... See, I'd put the line at I mean, I wouldn't take it over Behold, but I might take it over Augury Raven, I would say is the line depending on like if I've established that I am looking pretty good for playables and have a reason to care about Snowlands. But that's and that 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 line that I just drew is very much off the top of my head from my instincts about drafting not like the data doesn't point to like that's the line in any meaningful way or anything so now just like a few notes on like uncommon rares and mythics and stuff the best for performing card full stop that is blue or red in blue red the best performing card in blue red is still St- Sarnheim Unleashed as far in terms of like how successful it is when you draw it and notably uh, something that stood out is bound in gold wins more in blue red than demon bolt and I don't think that's to say you should splash bound and gold in your deck overtaking demon bolt. My guess is that there's a lot of covariance in terms of like players play bound and gold in their blue red deck when they're splashing Starnheim Unleashed and then they're much more likely to draw bound and gold in games where they also drew Starnheim Unleashed so bound and gold has good stats because it like corresponds with Darnheim Unleashed potentially being cast. So because of that kind of thing, I ignored all of the cards that were not blue-red in terms of like how strong they are in blue-red. Because I'm worried about like, oh well, the only reason someone's splashing this color is because they have some other bomb that's going to inflate the stats of a card that's in the color of that bomb when it's being splashed. So anyway, within blue-red, Calamity Bearers top-top, followed by Magda, followed by Goldspan Dragon. Magda is incredible. Magda is an aggressive card that shouldn't be particularly great in blue red as far as like you know how good it is in other decks. Magda has like performed amazingly for me in general. I'm I will say slightly surprised to see it outperform Goldspan Dragon. But not very surprised to see it outperform Goldspan Dragon in blue red because it is so much better than the other two drops where like Goldspan Dragon is better than Bergstrider, but I don't know if it's as much better than Bergstrider as Magda is better than a different two drop. So anyway, Calamity Bearer, then Magda, then Goldspan Dragon, and now this part's important. Basalt Ravager, the uncommon 4-2 giant that does damage based on uh, your most populous creature type, is ahead of every other rare and mythic. Basalt Ravager is really, really strong. It has amazing stats in general, and obviously it's particularly good in Blue Red Giants. Yeah, anything that's not Calamity Bearer, Magda, Goldspan Dragon, if you're Blue Red, Basalt Ravager is the card that you want. So it's ahead of Quakebringer, ahead of Cyclone Summoner, ahead of All Runs Epiphany, ahead of Dragonkin Berserker, ahead of Battle of Frost and Fire, Weirdly, I was not naming those cards in order of how successful they are. Uh, for the record, it's Cyclone Summoner, then Epiphany, then Dragonkin Berserker, then Battle of Frost and Fire, then Glimpse the Cosmos, then Quakebringer, then Alrund. And yeah, all, all of those are ahead of Agar. It, it actually goes Basalt Ravager, then Glimpse, then Squash, then Agar. Squash and Agar, are, I, think, I think, are really close. And Grain of Salt on Squash over Agar, just from my experience... But those two are really, really close, and that does track with my experience. It's also noteworthy, like that. Glimpse of the cosmos is still ahead of squash agar avalanche Caller. Glim- glimpse of the cosmos is ahead of quakebringer and alrund. Glimpse of the cosmos is amazing. So, like, you might be down on glimpse of the cosmos. Like, hearing that behold the multiverse is overrated, you might think, oh, I'm supposed to correct to like card draws not that great or whatever. Glimpse of the Cosmos is much, much better. The rate's so much better. The, the, like You get the immediate impact, you get better selection. So like Glimpse of the Cosmos, Like don't d- discount that one just because you're discounting uh, Beholden Multiverse. Glimpse is amazing. Yeah, so Ravager, Glimpse, then Agar, then Avalanche Caller if you're just looking at uncommons. But you can take Squash might be better than Agar or Avalanche Caller. And then the next highest uncommon, the next actually the next three highest uncommons were all surprising to me after avalanche caller but behind so note that this is behind demon bolt behind Bergstrider, and even behind run ashore according to the win rates is frostbier arcanist frostbier arcanist is the five mana two five that can find a spell if you have another copy of that spell in your graveyard that costs one less if you control a giant or wizard so that's behind Run Ashore, but to provide, uh, to throw a little wrench in the understandings, it's still ahead of Tarolf, God of Fury, which is a bit of a head scratcher. Tarolf's pretty strong. But Frost Arcanist has done better in blue red than Tarolf. Uh, but again, remember, small sample size potentially on Tarolf. And then behind Tarolf and Frost Arcanist is Frostbite. And then the next highest. Uncommon is crush the week. So crush the week is a card that has really good stats that I'm hesitant to play especially in a deck where I have a lot of creatures that it's going to kill But remember that the most successful builds of blue red play very few creatures that die to crush the week and then play crush the week and crush the week performs really well. So remember like given that you want to be building your deck in this like more controlling fashion where you're not playing the like cheap early stuff Crush the week does perform really, really well in Giants. And then the next best performing uncommon is Saw It Coming, which, like, is not terribly surprising to me. There are a lot of really powerful spells in the format. Being able to counter them is good, but I've had some concern about Saw It Coming being awkward in a deck with a pretty high curve, where, like, you know, I'm like, well, I'm going to start out a little bit behind, and then I'm going to be, you know, casting Bergstriders and stuff to catch up. So I might not have mana available on like critical turns for it. I'm not sure how well Saw It Coming is going to play in my deck, and the answer is that like across the board, it has performed better in blue-red than Giant's Amulet, better than Mistwalker, better than Bloodline Pretender, better than Craven Hulk, um, not surprisingly, better than Disdainful Stroke, uh, better than Behold. So like Saw It Coming has done really well. Saw It Coming is a card that you actively want in your blue-red decks. Um, Next up are those cards that I listed that saw it coming just a little bit better than. Uh, Giant's Amulet, followed by Mistwalker, followed by Bloodline Pretender. Giant's Amulet, considerably behind Bergstrider, notably. I generally, like I've mentioned in the past, that I think of Giant's Amulet as kind of like the stronger defensive card and Bergstrider as the stronger aggressive card because I've been in spots where I have Bergstrider and my opponent has Giant Amulet, and I'm just like, oh, now I just can't attack. But I think that Bergstrider's ability to kind of buy you time against like multiple attackers or against flyers or something i don't know all in all it ends up uh performing a little bit better uh in total than giant's amulet but i mean giant's Amulet's still very good it performs better than mistwalker uh you know like ahead of mistwalker is a pretty big deal uh mistwalker is like a very strong card that performs well in this archetype so Mistwalker's you know right next to bloodline pretender but slightly better all checks out to me and then uh, Stratland Frostpire, the um, blue-red activated ability land, which I didn't include it on this list, but I do want to mention that the red-green activated ability land, the slumber mound that kills land and makes it 4-4, is actually listed as better performing in blue-red specifically than the, uh, the Frostpire. I left it out because, again, there could be some covariance in terms of, like, well, why do we have the green mana for this in our deck? Like, am I splashing some green bombs or whatever? But as far as just, like, the debates about, you know, how good are each of the uncommon lands or whatever, uh, the the red-green one is quite a bit better than the red-blue one, just, like, in general. Next up is Inga Runize, which is always, like, kind of a weird, I, I think I've noticed for me and other people, it's kind of like hard, tricky to figure out how to evaluate Igna because it looks kind of like, I don't know, average-ish. It's played pretty well, but it's like, okay, so like this plays pretty well, but like what does that mean in terms of other stuff? It turns out that what it means is right behind Craven Hulk. So yeah, I, I, I would just think of Igna as a slightly less good Craven Hulk, but kind of interestingly, it is Better, It performs better than Cosmos Charger, the rare 3-3 Flash Flyer that uh, you can foretell and makes your other stuff cheaper to foretell. Worse than Igna, worse than Craven Hulk, worse than Mistwalker. Then Invasion of the Giants, coming in behind Igna and ahead of Disdainful Stroke. And then right behind Disdainful Stroke and ahead of Behold the Multiverse and kind of surprising to me is Fearless Liberator, which is the 2-1 that boasts to make another 2-1 which you might think of as a pretty aggressive card. And so it's a little surprising to see it this high up, especially since it's like, I think for some people felt like it underperforms in aggressive decks. It turns out that like this, you know, is like a pretty reasonable two drop that like attacks and generates value and gives you, you know, a way to spend your turn three. Like if what Fearless Liberator is doing is you play it and you attack with it and you boast and you trade with their two drop and now you have another creature, It's not hard for me to understand how that's a really strong play in a deck that doesn't have a lot of two drops and maybe doesn't have a lot of three drops. And is kind of just like looking for stuff that's going to like trade off, give it a little bit, bit of value early, and then like get you to a position where you're in pretty good shape for the late game. Also, it's hard for your opponent to ignore when you play it early, which means that they might be more likely to leave a creature back to block, might be more likely to use a removal spell on it. So it has like some secret extra defensive capabilities uh, in terms of just like slowing the game down and making your opponent respect it in a way that like gives it some value in blue red. So it, it actually ends up performing better than uh, X guard cavalry, which was very slightly surprising to me, but makes some amount of sense. So then you're like X guard uh, cavalry augury raven like solid stuff that's not amazing performs better than a few notable rares and uncommon uh, in tundra Fumeral, the uh, red red one sorcery that does four damage and gives you some mana if you spent uh, snow mana to cast it Doomscar titan and kind of surprisingly cosima god of the voyage all of those perform worse than augury raven and axe guard cavalry but still at a point where it's you know you're not unhappy to put them in your giant stack they perform better than dwarven reinforcements and Cinderheart giant Lower still, we have Gravenlore behind Depart the Realm and Bind the Monster, and amusingly behind Funeral Longboat, that I have, but I have to note that uh, the stats on Funeral Longboat are uh, with an extremely small sample size. Uh, people very rarely put that card in their blue-red decks. That's the 3-3 vehicle for two. Yeah, then Gravenlore, just ahead of Tis- uh, scary Firewalker. And now, perhaps the most surprising uncommons... Are this next bat pair of two uncommons that perform uh, worse than Scary Firewalker and just barely better than Carful Harbinger? Both of these are really widely respected cards Dwarven Hammer and Icebind Pillar. <laughs> these cards are both amazing and I'm shocked to see them this low. Uh, Dwarven Hammer makes some amount of sense in that it is very much an aggressive card that doesn't do a lot for you on defense. Um, and Icebind Pillar really threw me for a bit of a loop. This card's been amazing for and against me. Um, my best explanation for it is when, you know, if Ice Pillar Pillars the first thing you're doing, it's d- difficult to like devote mana to it when you wanna be like casting four and five and six drops. So like there, there's a story to be told that makes some amount of sense here. It also you know asks you to like draft snowlands fairly highly and like your blue red deck might struggle to get enough of them it might ask you to play tapped lands that are going to cost you when you don't draw it or you know even slow you down in games when you do draw it or something um, also you know i think that people it in general this deck is not very vulnerable to artifact and enchantment destruction so there might be a lot to the fact that this it gives your opponent a really strong target for their mask vandals uh that otherwise wouldn't do much so um yeah i don't know uh icebind pillar notably underperforms by a lot in blue red um coming in you know behind uh firewalker just barely ahead of Carful harbinger and immerstrom raider and seize the spoils provoke the trolls and lejara Seekers. so like playable but don't prioritize it in Blu-Red according to the uh, results here. Um, So yeah, that's that's really the full context on uh, rares and uncommons and how they slot into the commons and which ones you want to like prioritize and how to value them and all that. So um, I think I like this approach in general as far as like, you know, starting from the data and then trying to like unpack and explain that rather than just like starting from the card list and trying to and then you know giving my like guesses about what they are and what directions they lead to especially in this archetype where I don't think that there are a lot of different directions we basically know what we're signing up for in blue red Um, and certainly the data supports the idea that we're really just like here for blue red giants here for drafting a pretty controlling deck Um, so then the one other thing to talk about is this idea that I mentioned that like But I think there's another way, I I think there's a fringe archetype that's like, you know, uh, red aggro with blue support Um, that's like playing some of the, you know, cheap red aggressive stuff, prioritizing your two drops, potentially using some equipment, and then the blue cards that you'd be looking for there are like, obviously Bergstrider, probably Run Ashore, Augury Raven would be okay. Mistwalker would be okay. Um, and then, like, Depart the Realm, Bind the Monster. Uh, and then maybe even... Um, what's it called? Uh, Brinebower Intruder. Uh, but mostly trying to, like, use that stuff as, like, cheap removal and tempo plays in a red deck that's um, prioritizing just, like... Um, Axe Guard, Cavalry, to Scary Firewalker, Breakneck Berserker, uh, Craven Hulk, Pup, um, and uh, like maybe even playing Tormentor's Helm. So playing a bunch of cards that don't perform well in blue-red um, with uh, like the red aggressive cards. And so if you're going to go that direction, you want to be really, really careful that you're serious about it. You don't want to go halfway, you don't want to play um like Behold the Multiverse, you don't want to play like the controlling stuff, you don't want to play good blockers. You you know, certainly wouldn't want a Lich or a Kinseeker Seeker anywhere near this deck. But um you know, there there are a few like you can lean into the tempo plays, and I think that the tempo stuff plays I would guess especially well with Breakneck Berserker in particular so like i'm what i'm really looking to maximize here is like the breakneck berserker brine Barrow, brine barrow intruder uh interaction where like your opponent really has to block a breakneck berserker because it puts so much pressure on them and then you play the intruder and like now you know you're up a one two that's not a big deal the bigger deal is you probably got to play two spells that turn and now the one two is going to give you a good way to use dwarven hammer right so like dwarven hammer doesn't perform well in the kind of blue-red deck that people usually play the kind of blue-red deck that's mostly informing these stats but i have to believe that like there's you know there's enough synergy here there's a way to build the aggressive deck that i think as long as you're disciplined about it and disciplined about your plan and only playing cards that make sense in that plan you can have a good deck in that space but you again I, i think it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of making sure that all your cards are about attacking your opponent about removing their blockers about like making tempo plays um and you know you make sure that like if you're playing run amok, you make sure your creature density is high enough for it um but like you know you're you're starting out behind a little bit in that your blue cards aren't likely to support your red cards as well as you know like white aggressive like the white aggressive cards would um but you know when you think about like oh well you know we might be able to build like a red aggressive deck that like has some black support look black's really shallow and its support cards are not good I have to imagine the blue support cards are going to be able to pull you pull about as much weight so if you think about it in terms of like okay I'm playing a red aggressive deck and I'm just splashing you know a few temples tempo spells maybe a couple flyers, maybe a Brinebower Intruder, and then like maybe two Run Ashores, so that I can like get in a bunch of early damage, get a bunch of high-power creatures into play, then my opponent's going to stabilize, then I'm going to clear two of their blockers and get another big hit with all my high-power creatures. That's like a coherent game plan that can win some games. If you end up in a spot where... You know, your draft is giving you a lot of these, like, red aggressive cards that perform really badly in blue red giants, but maybe you started out in blue red, or maybe blue is really open, or maybe you have, like, some particularly good blue card you want to play or something. Um, I think that there there could be something there. Um, but again, you need to make sure that you're not just, like, tricking yourself into playing some aggressive cards in a giant deck, because we have a lot of data that says that those don't perform well and it's not going to work out for you. Um, Oh a couple other notes on uh, a few rares that you might consider in blue red that you might want to avoid. Uh, Some cards that are rare so you might not have a lot of experience that perform badly in blue red in particular to avoid. Uh, Do not play Cosmos Elixir. It performs worse then the runes, which perform badly here, it performs worse than Undersea Invader, worse than Breakneck Berserker, worse than Barrow Intruder. Uh, when you're just like a generic giant stack, worse than Pilfering Hawk. Uh, so don't play Cosmos Elixir. Um, and then uh, slightly better than Cosmos Elixir, but still in the this is a trap space. Uh, Reflections of Lit Jara. This performs worse than Mists of Lit Jara, worse than Maskwood Nexus, worse than Ascendant Spirit, which is ridiculously hard to use in Blue Red, worse than Hoggy Mob. Um, So Reflections of Lit Jara, there's some really cute stuff to do here in terms of, um, like, you know, copying giants is very high impact. Like, Reflections of Lit Jara into Bergstrider into Cinderheart Giant is a really powerful thing to do, but... Giants starts pretty far on the back foot. This is an aggressive format. Uh, As exciting as the wins with Reflections and Giants are, uh, the data says overall it hurts people more than it helps them. Um, I I can believe that Reflections of Lajara does some good stuff in Elves. If you want to play with the card sometime, maybe try it there. Uh, But the data suggests that it's not a good idea to try it in Blue-Eyed Giants. And then The last card that I want to call out um, as having shockingly bad results is Orvar the All Form. This is the 3-3 mythic, uh, like changeling shapeshifter thing that when your opponent discards it, it can do some copying nonsense. And when you target your creatures, they do stuff. Uh, Basically, it's just a 3-3 giant for four in this deck most of the time. Not good. Uh, Performs worse than... um, all the stuff I've already said, worse than Cosmos Elixir, worse than Vault Robber, worse than Scorn Effigy, Tormentor's Helm, Frenzied Raider, Raven Form, Strategic Planning, Faceless Haven, Rune of Speed. It does perform better than Raven Wings and Frost Auger. And behind all of this stuff, a pet card of mine, Rune Crown. Uh, Rune Crown is worse than almost everything. Better than Frost Peak Yeti, but uh, yeah, this is not the deck for Rune Crown. Uh, by the way, so I mentioned like Runecrown over Frostpeak yeti, over Replicating Ring, over Shackles of Treachery, over Fearless Pup. When I when I said Fearless Pup is basically a Mulligan, I meant it's worse than like everything else. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the bottom of the list and some highlights on cards to avoid. Wraps up my lecture. So I am going to. Um, open the floor for questions, and while I uh, get some questions from the audience, I'm going to take a moment. Uh, Regular listeners may have noticed that I skipped this at the beginning, but I do want to thank my new patrons from last week. uh, RJ, Walter, and uh, Jurgen, thank you very much for uh, joining my Patreon and supporting this project, and uh, for anyone else who's interested in uh, joining the Patreon, supporting uh, Drafting Archetypes, supporting everything that I'm doing here, uh, you know, putting work into this research, preparing the podcast, and drafting basically all the time to uh, make sure I have a lot of context and understanding for all the stuff I'm talking about. Um, check out the Patre- Patreon at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. Um, obviously there are some perks outlined there and everything. I've mentioned them in the past. They are still all available. Yeah, thank you again to everyone who's already uh, supporting and helping out over there. Okay, so this next question, or well, this first question is about why, well, I'm going to interpret this as like, why is blue-red good? I mentioned that uh, blue-red performs the best of the blue archetypes. So this is asking about like, you know, is blue like more closely linked with green since like they both care about snow? Like why, why would you, why would this be the place to be? And so I mean the like dismissive answer is well look at the numbers blue red performs better than blue green um, as far as like intuitions about synergy like yes both blue and green have some stuff that ostensibly cares about snow but there's not really that much depth to blue caring about snow in a meaningful way um, the common blue card that comes to mind that cares about snow is frost peak yeti which is not good and then like at uncommon avalanche Caller is great oh and Bergstrider obviously is very good but it doesn't need a lot of snow um neither does yeti but berg Bergstrider is good but cares about snow but it doesn't need a lot of snow it just needs a single single snow land um avalanche Caller is really good and likes snow but it's a high value uncommon and when you have it you can you know maybe avalanche color makes you more want, more likely to want to be green um, but it's obviously strong enough to perform well anywhere um, and then there's like a pillar which you know again doesn't perform super well in red green but I mean the answer is basically you don't have to prioritize snow just because you're blue and certainly not if you're blue red and there are a lot of blue cards that perform without snow um, and a lot of like blue cards uh, that perform well in Giants specifically. Um, I mean, mostly I'm looking at Glimpse of the Cosmos, but Glimpse of the Cosmos is a really big deal and a really big draw. It's, you know, performs better than most rares and mythics, uh, better than every other blue uncommon. Like, if you're in blue red, it's the best performing blue uncommon. Um, so the ceiling on Glimpse of the Cosmos is very high. And then also just, if you're in the market to cast like blue cards, card draw spells, defensive creatures, it makes sense that those pair well with efficient removal which red is genuinely the only color that offers like good efficient removal um in reasonable density like black's removal is frankly embarrassing uh and then like white has like bound in gold and uh uh iron verdict but like it, nothing nothing offered no, no other color offers anything close to comparable to squash demon bolt and frostbite as far as like kind of no questions asked, instant speed removal that you know, you don't have to have like your own creature in play to make it work or anything. Um so it plays really well with just like, oh I'm gonna play, you know, other instance card draw spells. Like, it makes sense that you compare, you know, Frostbite like the trio of Frostbite, Demon Bolt, Squash All instant speed removal with uh, like the counter spells and behold the multiverse in blue and get something that's like fairly synergistic and coherent and then you can pair that with uh, just like some big creatures from both red and blue and form like a very reasonable game plan and so like that's kind of like how the cards are lining up in a reasonable way and then as far as like but wouldn't it be better to like line up different cards in a different way at that point well there are different cards lining up in a different way. I don't know you know how to compare that outside of just to look at the overall numbers and success rate and say no actually like blue red does well it makes sense to like try to put these cards together. Next question is about Mystic Reflection which I didn't mention on my list. I didn't mention Mystic Reflection on my list because it has roughly like the second or third worst stats of any card in the format Uh, and so I would guess that its play rates were too low to make the list of uh, like results in blue-red specifically or I might have like given up on writing cards once I got it that low on the list. It's really bad, don't play it. All right now we have a really good question about what do you want your curve to look like in blue-red since it feels like if you take cards based on how they perform in the archetype your curve will start at four. And so I was worried about that so I sketched out the deck just kind of you know laying out the commons that I imagine being in the deck in terms of casting costs and separating creatures and spells the way that I would lay out a draft deck if I were building it but I followed a really strict pattern for this I just went down the list of commons and just in order wrote down the commons in their right spot in the deck um, to see how it looked when I do this I generally like I, for every archetype I try to build these like skeletons of kind of like 17 card decks of all commons to look at like, okay, well where are the places that are too long in my curve? Where are the places that are too short? Where do I not have enough creatures? Where do I need to like prioritize? Oh, this is the only good creature at this casting cost kind of stuff. And when you just go straight down the list, best performing to worst performing, stop when you get to 17, you actually end up with a shockingly smooth curve. Um, So the fear that all your cards will cost four or more doesn't actually apply. Um, So let me just like tell you uh, about like the the top 17 commons and the way that they end up looking in a deck. So for one mana you have Frostbite and Bind the Monster. For two mana spells you have Disdainful Stroke and Depart the Realm. Two mana creatures you have Guard Cavalry and Carful Harbinger. Three mana spells you have Demon Bolt. Three mana creatures Mistwalker and Tuskeri Firewalker. Four mana spells you have Behold the Multiverse and Dwarven Reinforcements both of which have Fertel so they give you early plays. Four mana creatures Craven Hulk, Artery Raven also gives you an early play because it also has Fertel. So you have three of your four four mana spells have Fertel. And then Bergstrider, Run Ashore, and Cinderheart Giant. So you're actually like remarkably. Also, Demon Bolt has Fertel. So like a huge portion of your stuff has Fertel. Um, so you're actually like really good at spending mana on like things in the early game. And then notably, all that stuff has Fertel, which makes the Carful Harbinger success here make some amount of sense. Um, and then if you're prioritizing like frostbite and demon frostbite and uh, bind the monster to not fall too far behind, while you're kind of doing this like fortell setup, and then you have like the high impact creatures and run ashore, like these 17 cards that I get just from going most successful to least successful down, no questions asked, full stop. That's the deck. Actually, looks like a totally reasonable shell for a deck to me. Um, it's all like pretty coherent and synergistic, and like if I literally just had to play these 17 plus like I got to draft some Uncommons and Rares and ran out the deck, I think I'm going to be in a pretty good spot. So um, I totally understand where the fear is coming from when I say, hey, don't play the aggressive stuff, and you're like, what do you, what do you mean don't play the aggressive stuff? The cheap red cards are aggressive. But uh, it, it actually works out. This next question is, do you need to be sufficiently aggressive or lack removal in order to be happy to play Depart the Realm? So obviously in terms of just like look at, looking at the data, I don't have a lot of context for it, for like its success rate. So its success rate is, it's behind Dwarven Reinforcements and Cinderheart Giant, ahead of behind be, uh, Bind the Monster and to scary Firewalker. So it's very much in the average filler type card where like the win rate when you draw this is about the same as the win rate when you just like play the deck and you don't know what cards you draw. Um, So it's in the, this is a functional card but nothing exciting type space. It's not terribly hard to get a card out of Depart the Realm. Um, It, you know, it's obviously great for rebuying sagas, not that there are a whole lot of them that you're uh, gonna be working with in blue red. Uh, Saving creatures from removal comes up sometimes. I think the best like really normal use case for it is um, countering struggle for Skimfar, uh by bouncing your opponent's creature so they don't get the counter. they like don't kill your creature. they have to replay their creature. So you like, you know basically made them like discard their entire struggle. And sent them back on a lot of tempo. It's a huge play anytime you can depart the realm the creature uh, that they were trying to struggle for Scamfar with but obviously your opponent knows that they're gonna try to avoid playing struggle into the mana for depart the realm. Another way to get a very similar advantage out of it is remember your deck has a lot of relatively big creatures relatively high toughness so if you block you know if you're playing against any sort of aggressive deck you block with a Mistwalker they're reasonably likely to use some kind of trick especially like run to get through your Mistwalker. If you have Depart the Realm there, you get the same kind of effect where you've countered their pump spell. So they're down a card and now their creature's off the battlefield. They've already spent the mana on this pump spell. They have to find a chance later to replay the creature. Um, so like, it. I think it's not so much like, it's it's certainly not like, oh, you need to be aggressive to play a bounce spell because bounce spells work so well on defense in terms of like responding to other tricks and stuff. it's And like they can be used in desperation to just like buy time when someone's attacking you, um, which is pretty similar honestly, to using them to buy time when you're attacking somebody else in terms of like clearing a blocker versus clearing an attacker, I think are really similar functionality. So I, I would say it's not so much like, oh, you need a certain composition. It's just like, you don't want a lot of this But bounce spells are like reasonably versatile and like it's fine. It's just like acceptable filler in this kind of deck. Any rares that perform specifically, like better specifically in blue red that would lean you toward blue red over other archetypes? So, I mean, the best performing rare in uh, the set in blue red is Calamity Bearer, which is a rare that performs well in general but obviously you know the rare that says hey your giants are better is better in the, like the giants archetype um very similarly cyclone summoner uh you know performs it's the fifth best performing card in the set in this archetype and obviously there's a huge difference between seven seven that resets the entire board and seven seven that bounces all your opponent's stuff and leaves your creatures into play and lets you just kill your opponent because it removed all their blockers um so i, I would say the big rares those two and battle of frost and fire um uh, and battle of frost and fire again performs better than every uncommon except for basalt ravager in blue red so um those are really big draws and then also Quakebringer is a you know mythic that says hey have other giants um so uh yeah the, as far as just like oh i opened a busted rare i'm gonna take it and now because i took this rare i'm gonna try to draft blue red calamity bearer cyclone summoner battle of frost and fire Quakebringer. Um, and then, like, in Uncommon, you have Basalt Ravager, Glimpse of the Cosmos, Agar the Freezing Flame, all point pretty strongly toward uh, wanting to be blue-red. So, um, and then, like, Frostfire Arcanist is actually, like, really stands out as being quite good in blue-red. And it makes sense that it's better in blue-red than other archetypes, because, again, like, red has so many good instants that you want to play multiple copies of, plus just, like, You know, the fact that it literally says it's better if you have giants and wizards in your deck. So, yeah, they're actually like part of why I think this archetype is so explored and so successful and kind of like obvious is that there are a lot of cards that say, hey, draft this deck. So it's not it's not very hard to find your way here, either just because you drafted a blue card and they play well with red cards in general or because you drafted a card that literally says this is the deck you want to be. Next question, how many of the same spell are needed to uh, play with Frostbire Arcanist? I'd say if you, like, if you have either three of one thing or two of two different things, that's often been enough for it to be, like, on enough of the time that I've been satisfied with it, which is kind of, like, surprisingly little support needed for it, really. Uh, Part of it is that, especially if you can get it to cost... 4-mana. 2-5 is pretty good stats in this format because there's so many 4-4s. Um, so it's like not the end of the world if you have to just like play it straight up. And if you get value off of it, it's amazing. Like the getting like a getting a creature with good stats in addition to card advantage in the form of not just like drawing a card, but getting an extra spell um, is really good. So yeah. Um, yeah, you, you need surprisingly little for the card, which is probably part of why it performs so well in this archetype. Although, again, you know, the Giants decks that have multiple copies of Squash, multiple copies of Demon Bolt, multiple, cop- multiple copies of Behold the Realm, are the Giants decks, or Behold the Multiverse, rather, are the Giants decks that are going to perform particularly well. So, some of Frost Argonus' strength is the fact that it's probably you know, being selected for only being in Giants decks that are going well to begin with. Um, So I, I would honestly grain of salt on exactly how high up it is and discount it a little bit if you're not already there and read this as closer to well this is how good it is when you know it's going to work rather than like oh I should be first picking Frost Pericanist because again there is a little bit of you know bias in the stats here where we like only see how good it is once people have already chosen to put it in their deck meaning that the draft has gone well enough that they expect it to be good. All right and then this is a Uh, question that I've given a little bit of context for already but uh, this is where does blue red fall in the general ranking of color combinations and the answer is better than all the other blue decks uh, but I believe behind the decks that are not blue or red or uh, not blue or black rather yeah that's that's where it falls behind the Naya decks ahead of the blue and black decks Um, and there might be some specific Naya deck that it's ahead of there it's it's all pretty close um, in, but it, it's it's one of the good decks, not one of the best decks, and better than the other blue and black decks is the relevant part here. Next question is, if you aren't doing much early, how is Seize the Spoils in Blue Red Giants? I've used Seize the Spoils in Blue Red Giants when I'm not doing much early, uh, and the answer is best if you don't have to do it, but serviceable. Um, It performs worse than Carful Harbinger and Immerstrom Raider, but better than like Provoke the Trolls and Lejara Inseekers. So in the like acceptable playable, but like better to avoid type space. Ooh, I like this next question, which is what are your off ramps when blue red starts to not work out? Um, The answer here for me is basically by default, I'm looking to pivot into green. If um like, if I start out with like an agar and I'm like, you know, looking to be blue red giants, and then I hit some packs where there aren't good blue or red cards, I am gonna look to um. Yeah, like if I'm just like, well, now where do I go? I'm gonna look for green because uh green is gonna make it easiest to use the stuff that I've already had that I already have and. Uh, I've had pretty good success with just like teamer Giants as a deck. Um, Green is strong, lets you like splash some of the stuff, plays well with red or blue. Um, And then, I mean, if that's not available, my ranking beyond that would be, well, then I would go to white because I certainly don't want to play black. (laughs) So that's the, like, there's a pretty clear ranking of If blue-red's looking like it's going to dry up, try to transition into teamer that'll let me use my early picks. Um, Give me some additional changelings from green that are going to be giants to work with my giant synergies. Um, If that's not available, well, now I'm looking at taking white cards and maybe pivoting into, like, maybe giving up my blue stuff and being white-red aggro. Maybe, uh... yeah, I mean, basically, if if I can't shift into teamer, I'm probably now most likely to be on well i guess i have to like give up and pivot into white red aggro as my like best case off ramp um and then obviously like my default strategy is never going to involve moving into black but if the off ramp like if the situation is oh well everything's cut except black is wide open it's like all right well now maybe i'm going to play some kind of black deck but like black with not green is uh, dangerous waters Next question is Giant Amulet and Frostfire Arcanist tend to create board stalls. Do you feel like uh, two to three Cinderheart Giant and Run Ashore is where you want to lean to finish this type of game? Yep. Uh, yes, precisely. With a note that Run Ashore is better than uh, Cinderheart Giant, um, and a side note there that Run Ashore is particularly good with both Giant Amulet and Frostfire Arcanist. Um, You can bounce your own giants amulet to replay it and make another four four you can bounce your own frostbite arcanist to replay it and maybe pick up another run ashore this next question uh is not specifically related to the topic but could be useful for any listener um which is listening to these i wish i could see how the deck should look or the uh or at least three decks drafted from the archetype is there a place where i can find those for each archetype so um yeah my patrons do have access to my draft logs so you could see my decks specifically uh, that I've drafted in those archetypes. But also if you just look on 17 lands, um, which is again, where I've gotten all this data from, uh, 17lands.com, you can actually just like look at recent trophy decks um, and then just scroll down for decks that are in the color combination and it just pulls like any trophy decks that have happened recently. Uh, and so you can um, always get sample decks that were su- were successful uh there really easy place to look at that kind of stuff next question how much should i fear craven hulk's downside uh when your decks already control heavy um yeah i mean craven hulk does struggle a little bit as a blocker obviously but uh i mean the answer to how much should you fear it is it's kind of already baked into like the strength of craven hulk and it's already understood that you're going to be in a more controlling space obviously you know you do want to make sure that as much of the time as possible you're like playing other creatures into craven hulk but um it's downside is very different than cannot block um it's not very hard to have a two or three mana creature when you play it um i I would say you know don't like go out of your way to avoid craven hulk because you're worried that you that you need a blocker but do try to prioritize you know Having other creatures in play. You don't want to be like all removal spells into Craven Hulk or something. Although, I mean, all removal spells into Craven Hulk is fine. You don't want to be all like card draw into Craven Hulk. The next question is about Invasion of the Giants, which I glossed over slightly, I suppose. Um, Invasion of the Giants is solid. It's uh, worse than Mistwalker and Craven Hulk. Uh, it's just behind Igna. It's just ahead of Disdainful Stroke. So it is a card that like you want to play in this deck. But it's not like a premium uncommon. Um, it's a card that, if I think that Blue Eyed Giants is open, I would be pretty happy to like risk tabling it. But it does, like its win rate is higher than Behold the Multiverse to give you some context on like, yeah, this is a card that you want. Yeah, I think I think that answers the questions, and uh, that will wrap us up for this week. I have now talked about every archetype in some capacity. Uh, in Kaldheim on drafting archetypes. So I have not covered straight blue green. I covered five color with an understanding that it would likely have a blue green base. So I still need to decide whether next week I'm going to talk about blue green specifically or if I want to move into kind of some kind of other topic. I'm going to uh, try to solicit feedback through the various channels that are available to me to figure out um, where we should go uh, between now and um, when we have enough data to start talking about Strixhaven. So um, stay tuned and uh, pay attention to uh, the Drafting Archetypes channel on my Discord. Um, You can find links to that Discord uh, on my Twitter or my stream um pay attention to uh yeah the discussion channel there um my Twitter my twitch um and we will discover what I'll be talking about next week so um that that's that's the end of the news segment following our strategy content for this week and thank you again everyone for tuning in and listening and I will be back with something or other next week